Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your hosts, Stephen, with Spitfire and the Troubleshooters number six, and... And Andy, I'll be talking about Star Brand number six. The New Universe was a self-contained universe and imprint from Marvel Comics started by Jim Shooter and others in 1986 with the launch of eight new ongoing titles to celebrate Marvel's 25th anniversary of superhero continuity. It was intended to be more realistic without magic, aliens, or secret histories. We're two chemists and comics readers who are reading through the new universe two books a week in the order they were released, describing them and commenting as we go. We'll also give the advertising copy from Marvel Checklist and or Marvel Age Magazine when available. Back in 1986, this was all the previews available. Uh, this is a good time to mention our website, www.kickersinc.com, where you can find out more about... Oh, sorry. <laughs> find out about our contest. Our Summer Super Sleuth Sweepstakes Contest. Coming back from the pages of the New Universe uh, number fives or number fours. I think they're way back in the threes, honestly. Oh, my goodness. Well, the context has been going for a while, and we have a nice uh, online um, uh, whatever survey system set up so that you can take the contest right online. And you can nose around a little bit while you're there and find out more about us and uh, the things we've uh, collected there about the comics so far. Um, we wanted to also mention our Twitter is at kickersinc. No, at kickersinc, um, where we put out uh, bulletins about what's coming up this week in the podcast. And we also want to give a shout out to our the Facebook fan page of Marvel Comics New Universe fans, which has a lot of uh, items of interest uh, to New Universe fans like like us and hopefully you. Yeah, you can tell we're old school internet because we said www dot before the web page, right? <laughs> I. Uh... I think it matters. It'll redirect to that page or something, but that's where you end up. HTTP colon backslash. <laughs> I'll just give an ISP or IP address next time. Go to 152.112. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, so uh, this episode I'll be covering Starbrand. Uh, and in this issue, uh, Ken Connell is, or well, this, just the background on Starbrand. Um, so we took a week off and we're a little rusty, I think. Uh, Ken Connell is given a power called the Star Brand by a mysterious visitor from space who tells him to guard it well. Driven by his conscience, Connell struggles to find the most just and appropriate use for the brand's unlimited power. This week, Starbrand number six. Starbrand lost in space. Enough said. Enough said. <laughs> Actually, a lot more goes on than him getting lost in space, but yeah, I thought that was yeah, like the thing for the next issue. But okay, and this is this week I'll be covering Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, 
Aided by five prankster students, Professor Jenny Swenson steals her father's Max armor, a construction suit built for use in a variety of capacities, when she suspects it's his murderer intends to use it as a weapon of war. This week, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters number six, the Spitfire's armor is revamped. What will the changes mean for the future of the Troubleshooters? And uh, now that we have a formal discussion topic, so we'll see where the, the uh, comics lead us today. But I, uh, as we're recording this, it turns out we're a week after um, White Event Day. I guess we should you know, celebrate that more formally, July 22nd. <laughs> well, the podcast will be recorded forever, so we can pretend it's July 22nd. It's like it never ends. Nice. <laughs> it's timeless, right? We don't want to date ourselves too much. This is true. This is true. <laughs> well, all right. So, Starbrand number six. Um, so, so far, um, Ken Connell has gotten this power from the old man uh, who happens to be on the cover of this issue. Um, since then, he's gone through all sorts of relationship problems, but eventually settled on Barb as his one and true love and maybe moved in with her. Um, and this was a revelation of last issue. So, you know, no more philandering on the ladies on the beaches and, you know, trying to no longer uh, hang out uh, with Duck every other day. Um, he's a new Duck had a, like a negative reaction to this idea, so right, she had a negative reaction, and then you know, he's been struggling with it, what to do with his powers, but also kind of called into question, like, you know, what happened in the beginning, uh, like when he got his powers. So, you know, some of that will be relevant today. Um, so the cover date is March 1987, though this actually came out on the stands December 16th, 1986. So coming to the end of the year 1986 here. Also, it only cost 75 cents, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> we, we, we're picking them up for a dollar now, so uh, <laughs> doing pretty good, I guess. Yeah, better than this $4 comics. I think a Spider-Man came out this week that was $9.99. Oof. <laughs> Is that the issue number or the price? Uh, issue 900, yeah. All right. Really? So uh, opening up Star Brand, our title splash page is Dead Duck. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> Don't scare me like that, man. <laughs> We're just going to have to find out. <laughs> uh yeah i was uh on the edge of my seat once yeah so uh, we still have jim shooter as our writer and john ramita jr as our penciler uh al williamson rick bryant and al Mil Mil milgram pitched in for inks um and uh, i really like this splash page I, I get this is not a visual podcast but uh ken connell is kind of floating uh up in the sky uh, he's got like red sweatpants and like a half shirt. Uh, best, it's actually kind of hard to read what was on his shirt. Um, it sounds like where the heck is Honesdale, Pennsylvania? 
the best I can Yeah, think. you have to look at like a couple of other panels throughout his his wearing it to to piece it together, I think. But there's gotta be yeah. some kind of fun inside joke there, but <laughs> yeah, Hones Honesdale, I, I looked up is like way on the other side of the state. So yeah, it's like over like, by Philadelphia, New York City sort of area. The trust yeah. area, maybe. So it's mm -hmm. it's not a Pittsburgh thing. But anyway, so it, it looks like it's uh, we're at a sunrise. Um, you know, it's kind of up in the clouds. Um, but what's actually really cool is, you know, it's all hand drawn. So, you know, a modern comic, you might just have like digitally colored in some clouds and some color gradients and things like that. Um, but like, all the cloud work is actually really detailed. It's just quite nice. <laughs> um, but of course, uh, yeah, you, he kind of fills these these vertical these horizontal lines like you said like by hand so they they have sort of an organic quality to them yeah and then they're just colored in later um, and it's all very yeah it looks really nice uh, sunrise like you say yeah nice job janet jackson has the colorist <laughs> all right i didn't know she did that <laughs> maybe it was before she her music singing career took off i don't know <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so uh, Ken, what is Ken doing up there so early in the morning? He's rehearsing what he has to say to Barb. So he hasn't told her that he has these powers yet. Um, so you know, he's Barb, I have to tell you something. You know, I was acting pretty weird. I want to explain why something strange happened to me. So bear with me. A man gave me a tattoo. <laughs> it's, it's all kind of coming out weird for him. Um, uh, not just a man. It seemed like he wasn't from Earth, and it's not just a tattoo. It makes me stronger, a lot stronger, and I can fly. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, then maybe I'll show her, maybe fly around the room. So he hasn't really got this well worked out here. Um, I think I saw David Blaine do that once, so I don't know. I, I would go outdoors if you're going to fly. Make it impressive, you know. <laughs> Lift a couch. Classic Ken Connell stuff. Bend a bumper back into shape. Bend shoot. a bumper, yes. Your fender is, <laughs> needs hand there. Ken, how'd you do that? Oh, you know, trick of the trade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so he's, he's working on his lines, you know, kind of uh, spots a plane uh, flying over in the sky. You know, he says, All right, I'm going to hide out in the cloud, but he's kind of gotten lost and drifted off a bit. So, so he's not right above, you know, his house or anything like that. So he's trying to figure out uh, how to get back home. You know, he's been here before. I think this, these first couple of panels kind of serve as a reintroduction of the character, I think, in the book and, you know, kind of what's been going on as far as things go. So he flies up to get a view, you know, kind of a planetary view, then flies back down. So there's where the Allegheny and the Monongahela River meet. Uh, Good job. Yeah. Like Actually, I, at the bottom like of page I took a two or something. <laughs> I think the bottom of page two, that's not a bad like map of the uh, the river sort of heading out. So it seems like he would be like if the Pittsburgh uh, like triangle is right at the bottom right corner of that. I yeah. Think. So maybe but, they need to fly up quite so high, but yeah. So he yeah, he but he ends up going so high you can see the entire like north and south 
hemisphere. Yeah. <laughs> oh. We get a lot of Pittsburgh in this issue though too. So there's a lot of Pennsylvania. Yeah, close enough. I can cut over to Thornburg from here. We see the 79 South and a Steubenville two mile exit. Um, so a lot of, a lot of name dropping Pittsburgh here. Sure. But anyway, so he, he lands, um, uh, home, he says, but not his big apartment, but in fact, uh, Barb's house. So he kind of sneaks back in there, uh, early in the morning, um, inside on page four, he's humming, um, a matter of trust by Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it took a while for me to remember, remember that one, but yeah, it's a uh, top of the pops at the time, I guess. I <laughs> so I, I've looked at the lyrics just in case there's some interesting uh, connection or foreshadowing. It, it's it's definitely a mixed kind of song. It's not just like a straight I love you kind of message. You get all sorts of interesting stuff like some love is just I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Uh, some love I have is... a singer right here, handy in the next room. Do you? <laughs> uh, some love is just a lie of the heart. The cold remains of what began with a passionate start, and they may not want it to end, but it will. It's just a question of when. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. We can talk later about how, I mean, Barb, uh, well, let's just say that Barb doesn't know Ken's secret, of course, as he's been alluding to, while his other love interest, Duck, and a friend or two all do. So it kind of makes a strange uh, tension within, I guess. The... Possibilities of misunderstanding is high, right? So he's making her coffee, um, you know, doing some push-ups. Uh, in previous issues, he decided he needed to work out with the power turned off. So he so he's actually gets exercise. Um, she comes down, uh, gives him a hug. Of course, uh, Ken's first uh, the second thing he says is, let's fool around. What do you say? And she's like, oh, Ken, we can't now. It's time to get the kids ready for school. So, uh, yeah, that wasn't a problem with Duck a couple of issues ago, but let's no. get into it. <laughs> so they send the kids off. Uh, they're getting ready. He's putting on his, his work gear for the mechanics place. And, you know, she's. Uh, looks like she's dressed for an office. I think maybe she's a teacher. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, they said she's a teacher, but we don't know the grade or anything. Yeah, um, I guess it's not that elementary school where kids go. Yeah, There's a, the the bus says Watash Elementary, but I I couldn't find that anywhere in the U.S. Basically, so it either doesn't exist anymore, or that was just a imaginary reference. Yeah, they like to change those names for schools a lot, too. So could certainly have happened pre-internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, so Barb asks him in the bathroom as they're getting ready, <laughs> are you secretly a Satanist? <laughs> this so is one gonna... of my favorite moments from this issue because it... what is, I mean, I don't know, that the, like, idea that, like, oh, this person I, I've been you know, going out with for a while now. I wonder if he's secretly a Satanist. I mean, I don't know. I 
Well, Ken, Ken up until now has spent a lot of time like poorly explaining things to Barb and doing things like, like I've got something really important to tell you and then kind of waffle on it and then not really say much. So I'm I mean, a drunk. Yeah. She, she's devoted to him, but got to be kind of a little getting a little curious now. So I could imagine like that's been stewing, right? Because she saw what it was is she saw his star brand which he put on the bottom of his foot last time she saw it right so she saw it, he said oh it just washes off uh with my special soap and then he tried to hide it on his foot of course if you're barefoot uh and you're living in the same house you know she's gonna notice it again so you know again he kind of poorly explains uh, that it's uh you know a special tattoo that he put on at a party which sounds like a flimsy excuse because it is yeah it's yeah i don't know um satanism was i don't know if it was taken more seriously or less back then it's kind of a weird uh like um i don't know if he was like in a rock band or something I, I yeah, there's a, there's a famous video on the internet of like some poor uh, priest or pastor or whatever uh, who made a recording uh, to teach parents about how like video games were making kids satanic and like he famously like had like Final Fantasy as his example. <laughs> Madness. Okay. Which is pretty funny, but yeah, old VHS era kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, no, go ahead. It, All right. we'll, we'll move on from Barb's bizarre. Like. <laughs> so, um, so they go their separate ways in their cars. Uh, Ken goes to work. Um, you know, really, the whole comic is Ken's perspective, right? So we never really see anyone else, uh, you know, taking the lead or or what's going on somewhere that Ken is not. Um, so he goes back to his Volkswagen dealership. Um, and uh, immediately he's gotten a call. So uh, apparently, so Debbie Duck calls him at work, uh, basically, uh, Kenny, uh, and do you want to do the voice again? <laughs> well, you, you, okay. The, John at the thing says, um, hey, it's your girlfriend. So yeah, it's high barb, to... but Kenny, it's, Kenny, me, it's me, Debbie. I need to see you tonight, okay? After work. Oh, Deb, it's not a good night, okay? It's never a good night, Kenny, but you promised you'd still see me once in a while. Please. Oh, she sounds, geez, desperate. Oh, oh all right, I'll meet you at Denny's just for a little while, okay? <laughs> I think I, I've taken Deb Duck's uh, voice from like a six or seven to like an 11 or 12 now. <laughs> I'll try to tone it back down. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad. It's getting a little bit Elvin and the Chipmunks, perhaps. <laughs> uh, so, of course, you know, this is Ken Connell. So he's doing his job. Customer comes in, you know, she's, of course, an attractive woman. And so we get a, wow, what a customer. Looking at that Porsche I reconditioned last week suits her. <laughs> Dangerous curves. Slippery when wet, I'll bet. <laughs> uh, ne uh, never change, Ken. Um, and then uh, I think for the first time then we get uh, some of the owners or managers of the dealership here too. So a Mr. Vajdak, <laughs> Vajdak? I, I don't know how to pronounce that right, uh, 
stops Ken and says, Mr. Zayer of Zayer and McMullen Volkswagen uh, wants to see him. So he gets called into his office. Um, of course, the guy gets his name wrong. He says, you seem like a real smart boy, Connor. It's like, uh, it's Connell, Mr. Zayer. Um, but basically says that uh, they want to get him ready for a sales job. You know, they don't outright give him a sales job. They said, hey, next time there's an opening, you know, you're in kind of thing. Uh, which sounds like he can make some more money here. Uh, then he also tells him to go wash his car. <laughs> go wash my Cadillac. Yeah, they, he says like the um, Ken's boss, John, Big John, he calls him, uh, like gave him the gave him his recommendation or something. Yeah, and uh, John has been telling him all along, like you know, he's smart, he can do better. You know, why are you wasting your life, kind of thing, kind of stuff. Yeah. That's generally how his conversations go. Uh, of course, Ken's like, smart boy, huh? Well, that lard butt makes my skin crawl more than Emil does, you know, more than the guy who called him in. Um, so, yeah, he's thinking about it. You know, of course, it'd be a lot more money, but he's also not particularly excited from working under these guys. He said sort of ride the uh, uh, salesman hard. Uh, yeah, as, as we move on, uh, our radio uh he's talking about an accident with four people trapped inside a collapse something or other um and ken asks if he can call off work for a minute you know can i get out for for an hour uh but his boss basically says no and, and he doesn't push it too hard uh but i presumably he was, he was trying to help those people but he's like, eh, i probably wouldn't be able to help those four guys anyway at least not without being seen so a little pessimistic i guess it is the middle of the afternoon, and so he's probably right on that point. But um, yeah, we we don't hear back anything about these guys, so you know, it's left to the reader's imagination what uh, uh, what the situation was. Yeah. So you know, after another lecture from his manager, who would. Uh, you know, put his good name into the owner. Um, then by the end, so presumably after work, 5.18 p.m., Denny's makes another appearance, right? So, so he's getting paid for product placement here. I don't know. It's like... Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, in this case, he's, he's kind of waiting for Duck. Uh, he takes the star brand off of his foot, and he's really, for lack of a better place to try and hide it, he tries to hide it in his hair, right, which is probably actually pretty clever. Like, so, you know, you, if you got a tattoo on the top of your head and your hair grows over, you're not going to see it anymore. Um, and it works, but it also burns the hair off on that spot. So he's giving himself a star brand shaped bald spot. <laughs> kind of combs it over carefully. Like, oh, oh man. How can Ken's like in his 40s and 50s. Yeah. Oh, I need to start wearing a hat all the time to cover up the star brand. <laughs> Is how could I be such an idiot? It probably means that subconsciously I don't really want to tell Barb. I'm scared that. And then his thoughts get interrupted by Duck knocking on his window. Hi, Kenny. Quack. <laughs> I don't know. I love that he's like, you know, the man without fear, but he's like scared by a girl knocking on his car window. Ah! And scared to tell his uh, fiance, right? Because they. 
Yeah, I think he said Bart Mary. Yeah. Yeah. Scared to tell her what's going really, what's really going on in his life, and also kind of sort of sneaking around behind her back at this point. Um, Notably, Ken and Duck are both in the same side of the booth at the Denny's, which is kind of like cozy romantic, right? Rather than sitting on opposite sides. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they're not at his place and everyone has their clothes on. So, I mean, he's <laughs> trying to uh, stay within some boundaries here. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, his conversations like, so uh, anyway, Deb, I'm, uh, you know, real um, committed to Barb. Now. Um, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't sound too convincing. And she's, she's like, as long as I get to see you sometimes and we can have fun like we always did, I won't be in any trouble. I just want to be your duck, you know, always. And so she's kind of on his arm. Uh, good old Ken is like, duck, have you put on a little weight? <laughs> and she says, yeah, but it went to all the right places. You should see me in the bikini you brought me last summer. Want to come over to my house and I'll show you. All right, so this, again, Ken's not handling this well, I don't think. <laughs> but uh, he gets interrupted by a hand on his shoulder, and it turns out the old man, as in issue one old man, uh, is in Denny's. <laughs> so hand on the shoulder, it's like, you're the old man. I know who I am. But I thought you were dead, or at least gone forever. Alive and well in here, sorry. <laughs> so the old man joins the Denny's dinner <laughs> conversation. Sit on down and have a seat. Yeah, so <laughs> so any room at the can... tables at Denny's. <laughs> so the the waitress comes over to him and he sort of weirdly asks if you have any bird's eggs. And he orders six raw chicken eggs. Uh, you know, and so yeah, it's sort of an odd conversation. You know, Ken fills the old man in that you know, Duck knows about the weapon, which is what the old guy calls it. Um, he says his actual name is unpronounceable, um, and then Ken starts asking him questions. Right, so you know, where are you from? You know, why did you give me this weapon? And then fake your death. You know, what's up with the alien that attacked? You know, what's going on with my indestructible clothes? Um, he doesn't really answer any of the questions as far as his things. He says, I gave you the weapon for the same reason Atlas gave Hercules the sky to hold. The burden had become wearisome. I gather it has caused you some inconvenience too, or else you wouldn't, wouldn't have placed it in its present peculiar location. <laughs> uh, but he says he's not there to take it back. Um, and he wants to talk to him, but somewhere else less public, I guess. Um, but yeah, and he also warns him not to put it inside, like not inside your lip or something like that. Uh, so very specific. The star brand does not like mucous membranes, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, under more amusing circumstances, you can imagine this is like is the voice of experience. Like I tried putting it everywhere. Ouch! Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so surprising add-on to the uh, conversation where Ken was just trying to let Duck down um, so he could be faithful to Barb, but uh, it didn't work so well. Um, so it ends up being kind of late when he comes back home 
Barb's putting the kids to sleep. Uh, her daughter is still kind of, you know, basically angry every time we see her on panel and obstinate and just doesn't really listen. Um, but she's, she's well, I mean, the, the, it says 26 minutes later, they had a relatively brief conversation at, the, at Denny's and he got there at 518. So it seems strange because it's like, it's, we're still talking about six ish, I think, as like yeah. a crazy late time. So Maybe that's why she's so cranky. They have such an early bedtime. It's mm. <laughs> a good question. It's still light out, mom. Could we just stay up till seven just once? Yeah. But Ken does say it, it was only a couple of hours. So he is a couple of hours late. Um, some driving time and such. But um, yeah, the, the daughter gives them some gives them some hard time slamming doors. You know, as she's being pulled off the bed, she grabs hold of his special brown jacket, the one that can actually, you know, sur- survive his explosive powers and energy releases and stuff. And it rips. So like the sleeve gets ripped halfway off. And then Ken's, of course, my jacket, right? She, she ripped my jacket, my special jacket. <laughs> this is this is the the mood change here is palpable like it was like kenny's in the doghouse and all of a sudden he's like obviously devastated so much that barb is like immediately like oh i'm sorry kenny is that i know that you that's your favorite jacket (laughs) so she says yeah so she says she can sew it and he says, no, it's not this jacket. You can't sew it. And she says, it's only cotton denim. He's like, what? No. He's getting really kind of confused. My here. special jacket. <laughs> I thought it was leather. I don't know why. I, I yeah. Know. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell. It's brown, that's for sure. Leather would kind of make sense for uh, uh, a motorcycle jacket as far as things go. I mean, yeah, you could pad it out, but brown denim is... Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. Yeah, I guess it's died. <laughs> but anyway, so so she goes to bed too. So I guess she's got the same bedtime as her kids. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, I guess she, they all go to school in the morning. So uh, so he's sitting on the couch, and later, you know, he's just kind of zoning out there, thinking. Uh, you know, he's, had sort of a surprising and sort of trying day uh but this is kind of another fun scene at least to start you know it's kenny you're coming to bed he says in a while what are you thinking about and then his thought bubble is deb in that french bikini the girl in the showroom her face her body and he says nothing (laughs) oh ken i don't Uh. don't think he's uh (laughs) I, i get the feeling that he rushed back hard into barb after seeing her with someone else you know like oh no you know yeah you know, i'm losing this this option so i'd better lock it down yeah, yeah. Um, i mean he he like he's when he's look, thinking about his getting promoted at work he's like talking about like you know her kids i mean our kids package deal you know he's his his sort of mind is expanding into this new role but it's still a hard fit yeah but i think this uh the scene i was kind of wondering if they had like redrawn it because she's like in a robe that's very opaque and you can see some uh, underwear underneath it's like i kind of 
I was kind of wondering if like they just drew it with her in her underwear and like someone at a later stage was like, ah, it's a little too much. Let's throw this throw a dark robe on it. Yeah. That's that is that is possible. Yeah. So so she comes down and says, uh, let me give you something to think about. <laughs> kind of the same kind of thing that he was already thinking about, though, apparently. You know, tonight <laughs> and every little chance I get, I'm gonna be more lover than you've ever dreamed of. You're going to want to rush home, be with me every minute. You'll forget about everything else, and you won't even notice that there are other women. Good luck, Doug. Good luck, Barb. <laughs> yeah, that's what they all say before you get the ring on their finger. Let me tell you, buddy. Good luck, Kenny. And, and it doesn't work, right? So she, you know, she gives him a hug. You know, he's and still she walks up it. the stairs with the "I'll be waiting," and he's like, "Not for long." But then he goes to like look at his jacket, move his but my special room. jacket. Yeah. You know, borrow the microscope from the kids' room to look at the fibers. <laughs> it's like, come this on, Ken. A, yeah, I don't know. Love here. <laughs> it's a. Uh, child's toy microscope don't put too much faith in whatever you can see in that <laughs> yeah so he looks at it and sees that it, is, it does just kind of look like any old denim jacket right or cotton cotton denim um so pulls off his star brand from the top of his head and perhaps loses some more hair puts it back on his palm uh, but then there's a knock at barb's door in the middle of the night and uh, things get even weirder for poor Ken. Uh, the old man comes in uh, with Debbie in tow. So they come in together. It's, this, it's becoming like a David Lynch movie at this point. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah, it's, it's, but, there's a lot going on for our poor guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this at this point, it is late. Yeah, and so having people show up, let alone this weird old man who keeps kind of both giving you things and threatening you and Debbie, which we'll get to in a second here. Um, yeah, it's bizarre. I don't know what to call it other than that. Yeah. So, so Debbie says me and OM old man are lovers. Now, Kenny, he's neat. I always liked big guys and he's big. So he's actually quite tall though. That could certainly be uh, a double meaning there. Um, but yeah, so uh, awkward. What? Yeah. Awkward situation. Yeah, at this point, Debbie is 100% like, yeah, uh, out of character. Yeah, so she's basically like now super devoted to the old man. And they sit down at uh, Barb's kitchen table and start talking about how, you know, he came from, you know, a far, far away world in the universe on the other side of the universe where there's a war being fought on a scale un unimaginable uh, and the, the evil side is winning. And you must go with me at once. And it could take, excuse me, it could take decades to do. And, and again, this conversation is pretty funny. So Ken's like, wait a minute, I'm not going anywhere. And then the old man says like, oh, okay, well, that's great. Cause I didn't really feel like going either. <laughs> So now I can just stay here and learn about human love from Deb. You wait, that's no good either. <laughs> you know, so it's confusing information here, but it's, you know, don't worry. Eventually, inevitably, it will come to you, right? And then you'll wish you had accompanied me and been taught the full power of the weapon and crushed the evil by its source. You know, so 
not even subtly hinting that, you know, Ken doesn't quite know how to use the star brand all the way. Uh, and then they start yelling. So, you know, what is the full extent? How does it work? You know, you're, you're dangerous enough. I'm not going to tell you. You know, he asks about the shirt, you know, so just like the mud from the early issue, he's very hyper uh, uh, fixated on what's going on with this jacket. Um, interestingly enough, Debbie pipes in with maybe because you thought the suit was special is why it became like that. Uh, and he old man shushes her and let's not give him any clues. So, you know, in Deb's hypnotized state, does she know more than she would normally? I don't know. It's a little confusing. It's, I mean, yeah, it's one bizarre moment after another here in this conversation. And um, yeah, the, the old man's uh, offer is pretty great. Oh, other side of the universe, there's a war being fought and the war against depression and the oppressors are winning. So we better go fight a war for a few decades you never heard of and you don't have anything in the neocon old man i guess he's like <laughs> you guys should definitely sit in this war on the other side of uh, the universe and uh, we'll just invest in that indefinitely no matter what happens and uh, absolutely never bring the star brand home never bring it home no. <laughs> yeah and again all of this happening in barb's kitchen uh the old man and barb start basically kissing in front of him which is getting him even angrier why is she acting like that you hypnotized her take your hands off of her and of course barb then comes down who is who is that man and what is that woman doing in my house because previously uh, you know barb found out that while they were dating you know he was still sleeping with debbie um so i think he just she, yeah she just saw those photos of her or yeah. something so i'm not sure they they know each other but she never this confronted is, I, him on it, but she clearly knew. Yeah. Up until the point where Barb walks in, it, this to me seemed like a dream. Like Kenny has, Ken has drift, drifted off and he's just yelling at no one when he's mm -hmm. like cut off at the top of uh, that page there. It's like if she had walked in and he was in an empty room talking to himself, that would have made more sense to me. Like, Perhaps, you know, yeah. I don't know. It has a, uh, like I said, the whole thing has a dreamlike quality that's, well, a nightmare-like quality that, you know, suddenly they keep saying all these things that don't make sense and his girlfriend is suddenly super attached to the old man and what the hell. Yeah, and, and we're learning some clues, maybe, right? So we're, we're learning some sort of unreliable clues about the star brand and what's the, the I guess... The mystery of the old man is still pretty strong like he's pretty clearly not being very upfront about what he is or what he can do or or where he came from or any of these things um though we're learning some hints about the power that seem more on point as far as things go all right so we got the old man and duck and ken and barb all in the same kitchen now uh barb's not exactly happy to see debbie uh, the old man says, you know, we were just leaving, madame. And Deb chimes in with, yep, going to go fool around. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Not helping the situation. <laughs> Hypnotized duck. <laughs> um, so he's, he's like, oh, I don't think so. You know, just a minute. I'm not finished with you guys yet. You know, so he storms off to follow them. You know, Barb's 
you know, I want to know what's going on here right now. If you go out that door, it's like, I'll explain later. So he kind of shoves her off um, to try and finish the conversation with uh, the old man. Um, so at this point, he's looking out for Duck, you know, turn her loose, you know. Um, the old man had stated that, you know, this is how it's done or in where I come from. So he's saying it's normal to hypnotize your girlfriend, I guess. Um, but uh, an interesting tidbit here, he says, yeah, you hypnotized little Lori once, didn't you, at the beginning when you were testing me? Well, she hasn't been the same since. And so he replies, really, hmm, there shouldn't have been any after effects. So he kind of, so he's admitting to being the alien there, I think, right? Right. In right. that issue one, you know, the old man dies, but we're thinking that's only in Ken's mind. And then an alien shows up to try and get the power of the star brand from Ken, but, um, you know, Ken fights him off, but not before he sort of hypnotizes Lori, Barb's daughter, and gives her one of his ray guns kind of thing. And so, you know, we had questioned before whether the alien was really there, uh, but clearly now it was, uh, if it was or wasn't a figment of his imagination or a hallucination, it was, it was definitely caused by the old man, I guess. So he doesn't deny it. So there's a little bit of the mystery unraveled. <laughs> mm. Uh, but yeah, so you know, he's threatening the old man. Uh, he actually does disengage uh, his uh, hypnosis of Debbie. Uh, she comes out of it and, and goes right into Ken's arms. It's okay. I won't let him touch you again ever. You know. She's, oh, Kenny! Oh, yeah, oh, that was so weird. I love you, Kenny. <laughs> Slam. So Barb was listening, solved the whole thing. So. <laughs> uh not going well for poor ken here he just tried to settle down um so he sends deb away uh you know go home right away stay there and you know again the old man's kind of confusing and you know, does he you know what what does he exactly want here you know he kind of says i'll leave peacefully I'm, i am needed at home with or without you or the brand uh, but before i go let me caution you uh, sooner or later, you too will need a respite from the burden. And when that time comes, don't try putting on an unliving object or a lower life form, right? So if it's, if the star brand power is transferred to something that's not alive or like a, a squirrel or something like that, then, uh, you'll have an explode or a, a supernova. So he's, I guess, kind of giving him some helpful information here. Um, he's very clear on this point that if you put it inside yeah those things it'll be do very bad so yeah the, the lower order thing's interesting because yeah you could think well what if i put in an animal or i don't know gorilla maybe but rabbit dol probably. dolphin probably but yeah there you go star dolphin <laughs> um so again kind of a weird mixed messages uh from the old man here you know he's sort of uh ready to go and Ken says, wait a minute, you know, well, you know, what if I just give you back the star brand? Uh, so he's actually just about to, uh, gives him, let's get it over with. Here's the sky back Atlas, you know, reference to their earlier conversation, but then he kind of stops himself and says, hold it, you know, prove it to me. You're from space. 
You know, how come an alien who doesn't even know that restaurants serve chicken eggs know the story of Atlas and Hercules? Right? Good question. <laughs> you know, this is ever since I late, first laid eyes on you, you've been jerking me around. So why all of a sudden am I so ready to trust you? Maybe you were doing some of your hypno tricks on me during that. Oh, but that oh, so sincere goodbye speech. Get out of here. <laughs> So almost gives up his power, then sends the old guy packing. He kind of takes it you know, very well for now. I also like that, like, they just end that page with them, Ken walking back into his house and the old man just walking up the street, like, <laughs> just walking off. Yeah, he's going back to Denny's. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have like a car or a thing or I don't know. He's maybe he had a spaceship in that first issue. I don't know, but it's a... um. Yeah, but the, the, the landing site where the spaceship took off from, you know, was clean when he went back to review it. So, yeah, but Man, there was I'm... something when he found him in the first place. So, yeah, it's, it's a little tricky. Um, Ken yeah. goes back into the bedroom. Uh, Barb doesn't want anything to do with him. Uh, just go away. Just leave me alone. And, uh, you know, he, he starts to think about uh really actually explaining to her what's going on uh, but of course in the world's worst timing for ken this is ken's bad day uh, the phone rings and uh, debbie has called barb's house so uh, we see her in a phone booth uh maybe with like a creepy shadow behind but really just kind of you know looking scared and uh hunched and is, may i speak to kenny please it's emergency <laughs> So Barb's not having any of that. You know, I can't believe this. You know, now she's calling. Uh, she doesn't care. She hangs up on her. Uh, but Ken's worried, right? He hasn't had a chance to explain this is sort of a dire situation, but he doesn't want to just abandon Duck in order to fill in Barb. So obviously it's looking like he's more concerned about Duck than he is Barb at this point, which is not going so well for his relationship. So yeah, she says, I'm gonna take my children and get them out of here someplace safe and I'm calling the police. <laughs> he gets it out of her that um, Duck said she was at a phone booth nearby. Uh, Ken flies out of the house, you know, to rescue her. But then again, kind of stops himself and thinks, you know, wait a minute, the old man, if he's harassing Duck, you know, maybe he knows that I'm gonna come after him. You know, maybe he's gonna sneak back into the house. Uh, and uh try and take hostages uh and you know again this, this super powerful mysterious old man is kind of interesting in that you know he, he busts him like jimmy in a window up <laughs> so like, he's sneaking in the house like a teenager i get it. it's yeah i'm not 100 percent sure up until later that the old man flies at all to like stomping off and just meeting them in restaurants and stuff yeah yeah so page 18 to page 19 all right now it's getting serious so uh ken spot ken spots him trying to sneak into the house grabs him on the shoulder mister you made a big mistake right but the old man kind of backhands ken uh flying sends him flying through the air you know basically smashes into and through two cars so the old man still has some powers um Ken, of course, has got the star brand, so he doesn't appear hurt, kind of gets up, kind of flies at him and tackles the old man through a house. 
Not sure if that's Barb's house or just some random stranger's house. That's also, yeah, my my question. It's just a house, yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking little, uh, flimsy looking, I don't know. Yeah. Just wood, uh, wood frame. A lot of houses here in Pittsburgh are brick, so that would have been more showier, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, he's basically flown him through a house. Uh, they're both in the rubble. The old man says, I have a weapon too, Connell. A pale shadow of the one you wield, but I control all its powers and you but a fraction of yours. I also have no compunctions about devastating the entire planet. Oof. <laughs> so as he's monologuing, uh, Ken grabs him, kind of shoulders, uh, shoulder tackles him and flies him up out of there into space. You know, you're not hurting anybody. You're not hurting anyone else. Um, so he's gotten the earth out of harm's way. Uh, the old man kind of calms his face with his hand and then we see this big flash of light uh, sends Ken flying into an asteroid. So we're in a full-blown space battle now, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, they, they notice he gives the, the realistic option of no sound effects. and uh, That's a good point, right? No, no once air. he's out of the atmosphere, you don't hear anything from either of these guys. So. No talking, no sound effects, uh, no air in space to carry those sound waves. So Ken flies in, and the old man's just kind of hovering there, hands in his pockets, looking like he's not concerned at all. And as Ken flies in, it's like his whole face and chest burst with power. So um, the way I imagine this is, you know, Ken has learned how to use the star brand, and he can kind of explode. Right, so he can like release energy and it just goes everywhere. The old man seems like he's been able to be a little more direct with whatever his power is. Yeah. You know, from his hand, shooting it from his face and chest for a bigger blast. You know, so uh, then we get this cool couple of panels, big scene where the old man's got this energy beam focused on Ken, blasting him away, tearing up his non-special clothes. Um, Ken kind of stabilizes himself and pushes his way back through the energy, uh, which has become a, a pretty common like anime action trope and things these days. But uh, until he gets close enough to the old man to grab his shirt and lay one huge punch on him and launch him into space. Interesting. His clothes were still intact, but through, even though this energy was you know, coming out of him, it, like, yeah, so again, you know, maybe showing more of a control or a different power than uh, Ken has. Um, if he kind of understands the secret of the brown jacket, whereas Ken has not quite figured it out yet. Um, <laughs> so, so Ken has nothing left except, you know, some fabric around his waistband uh, and a little bit around where his socks would go in his shoes and everything else is blown off. Sort um, of a blonde Conan look there, yeah. Yeah, a little Savage Land kind of thing going on. Bazaar, yeah, yeah. So he thinks to himself, dead? No, just gone, I think. Better get home before he does. But wait, what was the title of uh, this from the uh, solicitation again? Lost in Space. Lost in Space, yeah. So uh, Ken looks around. Where? Where is it? I can't see the Earth. <laughs> Uh oh, <laughs> which, way, which way is it? Oh God! <laughs> ah. A coward dies. Ooh, okay. 
So uh, previously had, he had been in space, uh, but as he had gotten farther and farther away, he thought to himself, like, oh, well, I better keep an eye on where the Earth is, and he could still see it to fly back to. So he has no problem living in space. He's no problem traveling in space. Um, but, but it's probably a little confusing. So, yeah. Ken I mean, lost in space. Yeah. I think uh, his previous experiences, I wouldn't expect him to be able to like stay out there uh, and sleep. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we don't it's know. Like, I mean, we know he can survive. We don't know. Like his, he turns the power on and off consciously. So maybe he can leave it on and he, he'll be there as long as he needs to be. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to be like, well, anyway. Yeah. You know, space is like free fall, like you feel like you're falling all the time when you're not in gravity, right? So that feeling would be really disturbing, I think, if you're not used to it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's not like you can just say, oh, well, well there's Mars, right? It's just, you know, if you, if you flew off in the wrong direction, there could be no planets for a long way, ways away. And he must be really far out if, if the Earth doesn't look bigger than a star. Yeah, he, um, I don't know, you'd think the reflected light off Earth or Moon, you could see from a good distance, but um, uh, I mean, that's a nightmare, yeah. A nightmare situation to just yeah and, and with the space rocks you know we we might even assume that their intention was that the old man when he first blasted him blasted him all the way to the asteroid belt yeah that's a good question i i was like i'm pretty sure there's not much in the way of rocks right around earth because of the um you know just gets cleared out by the gravity yeah over the years and um so yeah, it's it's also possible that it's way out there. Yeah, I yeah. think. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I could imagine, uh, you know, it's it's like the feeling like hey, you're in the middle of the ocean and your ship goes down or something. And you're like, uh oh, right? You got no direction, right? No no landmarks, no clue where which way to go. So, um, and next, a coward dies. Um, I think is that's a, the quote: "A coward dies many deaths, a brave man but one," or something. Mm, nice. I'm hoping. And I, I want to point out: speaking of titles, "Dead Duck" was the title of this, and we don't know what happened to Duck at the end of it. Yeah, I was going to say, was yeah. just on a phone, and we have the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers right the the relationship is in the balance duck's life is in the balance ken's life is in the balance the old man got blasted off like team rocket but we assume he's probably gonna come back <laughs> yeah anyway we'll be back next month for a new writer and we'll be <laughs> ah. I've been assured that uh, we, we do have Jim Shooter on the next issue. So otherwise I may, may have gone right up the wall, but uh... <laughs> a lot of weeping would be heard on the uh, podcast. <laughs> Can't be killing off fan favorite characters or just forgetting about them and all sorts of stuff. No. So yeah, this was quite an issue. I mean, the, that, fight it was about a, the last quarter i think and 
the quarter before that was that weird conversation. Um, so it's a lot of stuff going on. Ken's personal stuff just sort of got started and yeah, uh, already exploded. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. In the, the mainline Marvel universe, you know, you can string these Mary Jane along for years with, you know, oh, I got to go do something. Oh, I've got, uh, sorry, I'm late. Uh, you know, subway was slow or something. But here it's like every, every issue, there's some lie being exposed or some suspicion being risen. Um, and yeah, all the way back to Myron's uh, talk about, wait, that doesn't really make sense. An alien? What? Huh? Um, the old man is still like, you know, whatever clues we got is still frustratingly opaque in terms of we know, what we know about him, the star brand, and what's going on around Ken at all. Yeah, yeah his story about the battle in the far off corner of the universe right sounds like an interesting piece that could make sense but then he's real kind of shifty about it but then also kind of doubles down a little bit again so like you know you know things will come to you so i i guess my overall impression is that was made up you i know, mean it seems it, like yeah something like, you would tell people 10 years after star wars came out you know it's like yeah. oh here's something they'll buy you know yeah so he's just sort of he's, He's probably like not sure, especially, you know, we still don't quite know whether he was actually battling Ken as the alien or if he just kind of made him hallucinate that. Um, that's I think that's sort of questionable. So I'm presuming like he's not quite sure he can take him in a fight. Right. Uh, and it he sounds like he's probably being truthful in that you can't force someone like you can't steal the star brand from Ken, like he has to give it up willingly. So his best bet is to, uh, you know, kind of convince him either, you know, through words or hypnosis or, you know, I yeah, guess kind of a... like give me the star brand or Barb and the kids die kind of thing might have been his last move there. Kind of a mesmero or something where your power is hypnosis and making people see things that, that's not there and maybe be more believable when I mean it shouldn't be. Who's the other one in X Men? Um, Mastermind. Mastermind, yeah. Um, yeah, something like that. Because you know, in thinking back on it, there's really it's also possible Ken got the Star Brand. And the old man like found him, but those th event, those two things aren't, you know, causal. Like oh. he's, he's looking for someone who he knew was going to, to, to manifest the star brand or something like that. Well, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't yeah. thought of that, but that, that could work. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since, you know, the, the whole for in the very beginning of the first issue, when he gets the power, you know, it's told like when he gets it and gets explained to him is told as kind of like a memory coming back flashback kind of piece. So from the very beginning, it's kind of confusing. So yeah, he could have gotten it, uh, found it, you know, had it imprint on him. And then this guy who was kind of following it around. Uh, oh, Hey, I just gave you that thing. Yeah. Uh, why don't you give it back down. to me now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, I mean, cause it never, 
you give someone something and then you want it back. Uh, what? Yeah, my yeah. my brain guess on that was always that uh, something was after him, like he needed to unload it. You know, it's almost like you know, um, like giving someone your gun in the airport or something <laughs> kind of thing, but then you need it back or like or having them. Yeah, that's a, that is good too. Yeah, so because uh, maybe the the white event happens something is after this old man character you know, he hides the star brand by giving it to ken so then you know okay so the alien the... it's not exactly a lower life form but yeah close enough here you go buddy yeah <laughs> don't a low brow life form <laughs> <laughs> low resistance yeah, to fem feminine charms <laughs> um oh and, and of course lest we forget Deb is mysteriously gaining weight, which could mean something. Indeed. <sighs> you know, you would think Barb would would, you know, be trying trying to lock down Ken with like number three or something. I don't know. We we have no idea about her ex husband or what her yeah. her previous family is. It's, it, that's it. She gave it a thing. shot coming down in the robe, you know, wearing next to nothing, like you know. We're gonna, I'm going to give you the time of your life whenever you want, thinking that's like the way to woo Ken, probably correctly. But the poor dope, you know, can't stop thinking about his denim jacket. Yeah, I just think he could have been uh, upstairs with Barb when Duck and the old man stopped by and they're like, hello, <laughs> hello McFly. Yeah, they're, um, <laughs> yeah, even more embarrassing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I much like justice. There's so many unanswered questions about at the core of the thing that, like, you keep like waiting for them to give you anything. Uh, what's the star brand? What's the white event? Are they? Uh, who's the old man? Blah blah blah. So yeah, we at this point we're six issues in, and it's still kind of upping the ante constantly so, yeah not sure how much more we can do but we'll see um definitely got a lot to chew on for this one absolutely and they i i don't know the uh the sales job i i know that a lot of this is the subtext of um kenny becoming more mature and accepting responsibility and growing up and all that um, I'm not sure car sales is how I would demonstrate that. You know what I mean? It right. always seems like a shifty kind of a job. So if you're like, I mean, it's one thing to be like an honest, you know, working class guy cleaning cars or being a mechanic or something. But if you're like, um, yeah, let me see if I can put you in this four wheeler. Oh, we need the undercoating. And it is like, oh, someone's yeah. trapped in a building. I'll worry about that after I get this guy to sign on the dotted line. Is, is used car salesman yeah. more or less trustworthy than lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> ah, let's not answer all these questions. <laughs> you um, the reader, or the listener can decide. <laughs> yeah. All right, listeners, if you think the uh, what's the, the best uh, career choice for Ken, you can write to us at uh, newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. 
we will read any suggestions on the on the on the cast. Ugh. Wow, exhausting. Um, we haven't even got the Spitfire and the troubleshooters yet. Yeah, I'm afraid it uh, it's not going to maintain this like apocalyptic uh, level of engagement. But um, let's see, do we have a grade for uh, Starbrand number six? Uh, easy A for me. I will concur with an A. I'm, uh, I am I am engaged. <laughs> I've read this before, but long enough ago that it still seems fresh, and I can't wait to read seven. So I'm like, let's get it going. Need some answers. Yeah, I think. Uh, although I, I'm, yeah, maybe it's my memory that like duck like knowing something. I was always like. Oh, maybe Duck will be able to tell him something useful now that she's not hypnotized. But maybe I don't. You know, let's not hold our breath on that. Yeah, she she could have some secret knowledge, but it is still Duck. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think we're gonna spend the next thirteen episodes uh, with Ken wandering in space. <laughs> He'll never make it back to Earth. You know, I I would definitely have have liked a uh, issue where it's just nothing but floating in space and sort of thinking about your life and you know like mem- remembering things. Hmm. A lot of TV shows would do stuff like that where someone's like trapped and they're like they would have flashbacks or maybe new things about like when they were growing up or something. So, yeah, as long as it's not an excuse to do a clip show. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I mean, how hard would it? I mean, how easy would it would it be to have a panic attack and something like that, right? Yeah, that yeah. could be a cool issue. And I think in around a similar era, there was a Superman in space uh, storyline too. Hmm. Maybe it came a little later. I think, but yeah, he leaves yeah. the Earth because he killed somebody, and then yeah, goes and wanders and finds other planets and gets into trouble. That's right. That's right. That was kind of, I forget if Byrne was still involved in that, all the post-crisis stuff. So I guess that would probably be a bit later. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was a good story, though. Alrighty. Well, let's take a break and come back with some Spitfire and some troubleshooters. Lots and lots of troubleshooters. All right. <laughs> See you on the other side of the music. Welcome back. We're going to uh, dive into Spitfire and the Troubleshooters number six now. Um, this came out on the same day as uh, Spit as Starbrand number six, and has a nice cover of the Troubleshooters um, sort of charging over a uh, hill or something towards the uh, towards the reader, and uh, they're in their battle gear. Um, Teresa's got Think Tank on. Um, Eddie Giotti has strong arms. Uh, Andy has Beam Splitter. And uh, what's his name? Tim has fastball legs. 
And then there's uh what's his name? Eddie Chin. Just sort Eric. of Eric Chin. Just you know, rah rah from the back. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the same action pose, like arm up, kind of diving, but he's got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what uh, his poses are for. Teresa seems to be uh, saluting the Fuhrer, but um, I think this is the first appearance of Beam Splitter, too, though, right? I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I'm, okay. I'm sorry to, if I spoiled it by using that term before we get in the book. He's got a laser. I, I like that the the best thing that the MIT genius that can, can come up with with strong arms is to have a wooden club. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna use my brains to beat you to a pulp. Yeah, okay. Dude. Yeah, I also like that the um, the the troubleshooters are more sort of in in uniform than the um, kickers Inc ever are. So, yeah, I think the only time we saw the kickers in full uniform is when they met DP Seven. Yeah, I think like they came not- out on like the Johnny Carson show, and then ever since then it was like. Yeah, but when they went to harass uh, Stephanie's husband at his workplace, meatpacking or whatever. Oh, right, yeah. Wasn't that Jack Magnaconti from the Smashers? I don't know, man. He's a rough dude. Over here intimidating poor Chuck. All righty. Diving back into Spitfire. Um, the the credit for the cover just says Dez, D-E-Z. D-E-Z. And um, there's a little... Blurb on the cover. Take a good look at them now, because the troubleshooters may have met their match. It has a like charge of the light brigade kind of quality to it. Like, here we go. We're all gonna run into danger and get ourselves killed. Um, and our new universe uh, trade dress has a red outline instead of a white outline. Oh, you and are right. The new universe is written in soft yellow. I did not notice the the outline. Very good catch. I was hoping to scoop you on that. Meaningless colors. I'm going to go over this with like Bobby's microscope next. (laughs) And not miss anything. Okay, moving on to the splash page. Grim Tidings is the uh, title. And it has a date. December 19th, 8th. 45 a.m. And it is a small farm on the outskirts of Boston. And suddenly there's gunfire, gunfire. And the splash page is Arun Bhakti Steelhawk um, uh, shooting up a pinata or something in his front yard at his farm. And he's telling Baker, the uh, agent for the club, the mysterious evil group, that he is uh, completely healed and his skills are intact. Steelhawk is back in business. I like that he likes to call himself Steelhawk. He does a lot, yeah. Yeah, Also, it's December 19th, right? So that's only three days after this comic came out, right? So so we're kind of working on real time here. Yeah, it's very down to the minute. I think there was a November was like last issue or the issue before. So if we're getting some good uh, stuff here. Justice last week was um, November 1st. So you see it's um, sort of, you know, they all don't line up 
exactly, but as um, the new universe creators promise, by the end of the year, or a year will have gone by. So anyway, Steelhawk's proud of himself and uh, getting back into shape. Um, it's been two or three months for him now. And Mr. Baker says, yes, indeed. Very impressive. My shirtless friend. Yeah, yeah he's like, yeah, yeah, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, uh, he, he is a bit like worried that Steelhawk enjoys his work a little too much. And uh, well, like the whole conversation is happening. Like the guy's just kind of standing there thinking about how this guy's a little crazy. And Steelhawk's like talking with him, but also like doing rolls and flips and shooting targets and throwing grenades. <laughs> and he's, he's going crazy in like a, you know, homemade little battlefield that he's got yeah that uh, those uh, cardboard cutouts that pop or pop up and you're supposed to shoot them he's doing that but with like every weapon at his disposal and just going nuts like uh, uh it's like trust me maybe i do enjoy my work that's because i'm good at what i do more than good i'm the very best throwing gr grenades around on his front lawn um that's just something quote, we do out in the countryside to quote one of our greatest political theorists the purpose of terrorism is to terrify i guess i should look that up i didn't look it up either i mean, guess mao i don't know he had a lot of stuff like that but, mm. um someone will come back oh it's george washington yeah Anyway, the um, let's see, they're talking about uh, Jenny Swenson's Spitfire suit and uh, being in prison, and it's sent a, quite a stir through the country's military political infrastructure. And uh, let's see, he brags about how he broke up the suit and did pretty well. And uh, the nation's vaunted technology can't protect it from a determined attack. The leaders here know that now more than ever. So, Steelers got a little bit of a, oh, like John Henry thing going on. You know, man with a machine gun's better than a super powered battle suit. <laughs> Steelhawk, I guess. Steel driving man. Yeah. <laughs> but I like, like, uh, as Steelhawk's like getting undressed or dressed then uh the goon is walking around his his uh cabin house and there's a big giant sack and a pair of black boots and a little santa outfit <laughs> oh my god steelhawk is secretly <laughs> santa claus <laughs> grenade down the chimney kiddos <laughs> so Steelhawk could like, carry his own series i think yeah he could yeah it would like a dark side of murk <laughs> um so he's he's like uh, we we paid you to kill the prime minister of england who's coming uh we need to know your plans and he's like uh he, he comes up behind him with a gun out to his head and he's i'll just do it when she least expects it my friend and please don't call me bhakti use my code name steel hawk I like a guy who uses his code name. That's pretty rare in the new universe. It is, yeah. He would get along well with Scuzz, probably. And uh, Psy Stalker. Yes. The only ones, I think. The young guy's game, yeah. 
So a little later that morning, we have uh, the courthouse where Jenny is um, still being tried, the matter of the people versus Jennifer Swenson. And uh, the judge is saying that the prosecution's uh, VA, I guess, has dismissed all charges. So she's going to order it uh, dismissed and the defendant released. So uh, the new lead lawyer for Jenny, I remember her boyfriend wasn't quite cutting it. Um, He says like, well, you know, you have an explanation. We were prepared, but. It's like, yeah, well, maybe I'll get your chance. I mean, we can always refile charges at a later date. It's not harassment because we're the law. So we can keep doing this to you as often as we want. Anyway, have a nice day. I may be reading a little into that, but. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't sound at all like harassment. Yeah. So, yeah, she's like, what do you mean? Why do you want to drop the case? He's, it means he still thinks you're guilty of murder, but he no longer thinks he can prove it. The important thing is you're free. No, I think the important thing is she didn't kill anyone. So it should be pretty easy to prove, but okay. Um, the downside is we're never going to get that women in prison in prison issue. So long, big Bridget. We hardly knew you. Um, so there's reporters outside and they're like, they're all very happy with themselves. Um, and uh, Jenny is, seems to be leaving with Bernie, uh, her ex-boyfriend slash uh, lawyer who didn't do a good job last issue and uh, is kind of blamed for that. And uh, the troubleshooters are there. They're like, I guess it looks like Jenny never needed us to rescue her after all, Giotti. That gay guy who saved your butt last week was right. Oh, that was Ken Connell of Starbrand, last issue. Helpful note from the editor. Um. He says, sometimes the system does work. You just got to have faith. Don't know about you, but right now I feel pretty dumb. It's like, you're all MIT students. Don't tell me you feel dumb. Come on. <laughs> Humble uh, brains. Uh, silly. Um, so anyway, they're like, oh, what matters is we always trusted her. We never stopped believing her no matter what. And we have a great shot of them, uh, that Jody saying that, uh, with a big close-up of Teresa in the in the foreground, giving kind of an eye roll. <laughs> she did not believe in her. Did not believe for a minute. No trust. Um, so they're they're all talking for a minute, and uh, then Teresa and Giotti get a little bit more close into conversation, and uh, she's mad at him uh, for getting so hung up uh, trying to help Jenny so doing it so much that uh, she wanted to hurt her and uh, maybe you don't care about your academic career Eduardo but my studies at MIT are important to me and to my family Jenny put that in jeopardy almost got us in jail and you all you think about is Jennifer Swenson what about me can't you see I love you Truth comes out. (laughs) She doesn't care about her academic career. She's just jealous. Let me list the number of ways in which I'm disappointed in you. I I don't care about Jenny. I don't care about this. I do care about my grades, and I'm supposedly in love with you. So, um, she storms off and is pretty emotional, and she goes to the ladies' room and needs to calm down. Uh, she's like, ah, oh, what was I thinking? The same. 
all that anger inside, I let it simmer inside me until it just boiled over. Well, we cut to outside where um, Jenny Swenson is getting into a car, I guess, with Bernie. And Senator Hurt has shown up from a couple of issues ago. Um, oh, I, I understand. You understand why I couldn't be seen with you these last few weeks. Political reality. But now, and Jenny gives him the brush off. Now that I've been cleared, you want a piece of me again? Get your hand off me, Senator Hurt. I wish they would have just used Ted Kennedy. Is he groping our heroin? Oh, <laughs> okay, maybe they should. It's good they didn't use Ted Kennedy. <laughs> I went to you for help to expose the Fritz Grazzi's dealings with the club, and you used me. You had me reveal Spitfire on a to televised Senate investigation. When it backfired, you dropped me cold. Good day, Senator. <laughs> this is caught on a local news TV camera, and it's also caught by. Uh, Steelhawk, who is watching from a van across the street. Nice green kidnapper van. Hey, kids, candy, come inside. Yeah, the um, he's like, pity you had to hurt me during our last encounter. You left me with a crippled leg and a metal brace, and because of that, my dear, someday very soon you'll have to die. So even without orders, he's he's ready to take on Jenny Swenson again. Yeah, he's uh, you know, he's got uh, he's a he's all business, but he also has time for his personal uh, interests. Um, at least when they coincide with his business, which is killing her. So right, it's all <laughs> going in the same direction. Uh, she's, Jenny's like, leaning on Bernie. And like, Why do I still feel tired and miserable? Ah, she's very like romance cover look yeah. in her fit eyes just... bernie kind of looks a little bit like matt murdoch to me i think but i don't, I don't know, remember if he's a blonde or not maybe at least sometimes she's like oh now spitfire is gone and destroyed and so is dad's dream <sighs> anyway back at the uh van a meter maid is telling uh steel hawk to move it or, or get ticket and he uh he just crunches her hand. Um, yeah. And just like um, mindless little bureaucrat. And he drives away. And uh, someone comes up, Lady, you all right? He broke my hand. Yikes. Um, remember, Bhakti is not like super powered as we understand it. Like, he, no one says, like, Oh, you're also a paranormal. He's just strong and crazy i guess yeah i, I would say a really strong crazy dude could he kind of had her by the fingers too so yeah i can see that she's uh i don't know she looks a lot like teresa of the troubleshooters she does yeah so. yeah if you were like just kind of casually you're reading this you'd think teresa had suddenly put on a uniform and was trying to spy on him yeah same she's drawn pretty much the same and as another black woman with short hair yeah the short hair yeah that's cool. but with a sassy meter made hat so that is clearly the identifying difference back in the bathroom yeah we see that teresa is still there and because yeah we just had this crunched hand and we have then we have teresa's hands uh washing in the sink did you have to um, 
and she's thinking to herself a lot and you know she should her feelings for eddie and her anger at jenny and all this stuff and uh then she hears outside um, the DA talking to the two detectives we've seen before, Sloan and Jenkins, I think. And he's saying that, you know, they had said they didn't think that Jenny was the killer, um, but you better come up with a real killer. Otherwise, we'll go after her again. And they're like, we, we don't have a name yet, but it's the creep who attacked Jenny the night we arrested her, the one who slipped through all our roadblocks. How convenient. You have to go on more than that. So they're like, um, you know, come up with something better soon or we'll refile charges and see that you're dis- discredited also. So, oh man, discredited. Cops are worst. on the ground here, down here. So Teresa realizes Jenny isn't out of the woods and there's still a, maybe that I should grow up and find a real way to help stop whining about Jenny Swenson and actually try and help her like a good sidekick. <laughs> um, she goes outside and Eddie is still there and uh, it's like, ah, I don't know what to say, but you don't have to say anything. And there's a hug. I'm not quite sure what else is going on there. It's, um, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's time I started acting more like a troubleshooter. Eddie, let's go back to the dorm. We've got to talk. Okay. I guess the troubleshooters do kind of have a long history of acting without Jenny. Like even from the beginning, you know, they were they were there to break into the lab when she told them not to. Like they're trying to like all the break-ins, they show up, right? They show up to rescue her, even though it's not necessarily needed, try to break her out of prison, even though she didn't quite need to. So pretty much every time they organize, it's <laughs> from not listening. <laughs> Yeah, the I'm trying to think now, the second or third issue, like one or two of them was up there with her testing out the max armor, but then the others all had to like follow. That's where he had the strong arms, like yeah. the tank they were shipping up. Yeah, uh, yeah, she doesn't need she Jenny's not like a hands on kind of a PI who's always telling <laughs> right. you which experiments to run. She's more like she gives you a direction and you can. Uh, figure your own way out i guess so let's see back to the mit campus um they're talking in the dorms and the troubleshooters are uh you know well they're not all like hey let's run out because we have no idea what to do or where to go um so let's see Teresa suggests um well Eddie says, look, it's not like we're totally defenseless here. We still got our max suits because the full Spitfire slash max armor was destroyed or at least rendered in- inoperable. But um, they had each been putting together little pieces of it into usable um, things for themselves. So it says um, others are like, uh, well, Teresa's max will allow us to plug into the police computer system. And, you know, we can use that to try to find this guy. Okay. All in favor of taking covert action, say aye. Aye. Everyone's excited. Andy goes along with it, but he's not that excited. <laughs> he's generally the level-headed one, which is about all I know. I, 
I'm guessing because he has glasses that he's the intelligent one, but that's just a guess. <laughs> so we switch over to, um, it's still the same night, but over in the Boston Common, some cops are talking about, um, um, they're just doing guard duty and sort of chatting with each other. And meanwhile, one of the workmen is steel hawk in disguise and he's saying, ah, American Christmas, how like the movies. Anyway, and everyone, anyway, everyone's having such a good time, they won't notice me. And he dips underneath and is putting a bomb maybe underneath the Christmas tree that they're going to light at the ceremony. So, yeah, there's, there's a great little detail on page 11 where he's thinking and carrying a Christmas tree, wearing a green like work suit. And then after he drops the tree, he changes out of his, he takes off his green jumpsuit for a blue work suit underneath. So he's like, disguised as two different workers <laughs> <laughs> good point nobody, yeah, nobody would uh, see that coming yeah i didn't yeah was it a uh here i'm the calling tree guy in my green suit now i'm the electrician in the blue suit <laughs> there you go yeah well it's either way he's he's beneath the the notice of the guards so yeah perhaps uh one will let you into one zone and one will let you into the other but it is a nice trick to go from it's probably the same guards from night mask who are in charge of finding the bombs from that poor mob informant you know like they you know there's nothing we can do everywhere we go there's more bombs we stopped searching after a while and just sort of grew resigned to it yeah yeah those guys uh we don't have a lot of names, but uh, they're all pretty generic uh, uh, police security guards types. So elsewhere, you guys almost finished there. Um, they are linking up Teresa's uh, think tank cyber helmet to, um, I think, a phone um, box. It's, uh, what do you call it? Terminal. Yeah, it's got to be something like that. I mean, they wouldn't put like their computer hardware on the outside of the building. Yeah, they. I mean, I remember this uh, when you had like landlines. There would be like a box with all these sort of switches and um, uh, wires around, and you know, hacker types would tell you, "Oh, you just you know, a couple of alligator clips here and here, and you can listen on phone conversations and all this sort of thing." Um, but what they're doing is. Um, Trying to get Teresa into the police um, database, and so I think they're doing this in like their dorm and calling out. They're not like at the police headquarters and trying to like hack in, but that's just sort of. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure. Hard to tell because then later on in the scene, then you know they're kind of up on top of a building in the middle of downtown. Oh, yeah, and they say, oh, check out police headquarters. It's, like, across the street, so, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, so, yeah, they're talking about, huh, that's interesting. Boston Commons got a lot going on. Prime Minister will be here soon. Anyway, back to uh, whatever it was we were doing. So, um, we get a nice uh, couple pages of uh, cyberpunk psychedelia as yeah. Teresa uh, concentrates Data from the police computer has begun pouring into Teresa's think tank, 
at a rate of thousands of bytes per second. Whoa. Jeez, Chin, that's got to burn her out. No way. The human brain is still quantum jumps ahead of any mainframe. What Teresa's got to do is find a way to ride out the data storm. To go with the flow while she's navigating her way through the sea of information that's pouring through her mind. I wish I could do that sound of like a modem. Like, <laughs> yeah, How does she manage that? She's smart. She'll create an electronic hallucination of her own choosing. It'll allow her to translate the data from binary mode to a visual form the human mind can interpret. So... Yeah, so she's basically like in a cyber, you know, void with some terminals laying around, and she's a ghost-like flying, I don't know, red-like ghost. Um, yeah, looks a little bit different than her in real life, but not too much. Yeah, I mean, you can you can have like a positive self-image and be like, you know, oh, okay, yeah. She's she's uh, attractive female, but there's like no details in this uh, electronic form. So you're you're, you're yeah, just so flying around. It's odd, right? Because like so, it's translating. I mean, 1986 complete police computer, right? It's, it's a bunch of text files, right? It's got to be right. Spreadsheets, text files. That's what you're looking at. But you know, so how would in the world would think tank work, right? But I guess that's that interface, right? So those but those bits of information get kind of translated by the tank or by her mind into visuals, right? So like instead of, you know, seeing light information and your brain turning that into images, right? She's collecting this digital information and turning it into images. Yeah, I thought it was like a heads up display previously, but now she's just, it's sort of internal. And so yeah it, it it's not her seeing something that so much as just visualizing something yeah yeah so. So, so it's weird and like you know when she gets to the information about like the the meter maid whose hand got broken and then she actually kind of like that happens to her or, or she, you know the yeah. hand that hurts her <laughs> yeah so she's she's searching through for files that might have something to do with jenny's case which is just flying in this you know, um, electronic void and uh, she she feels some pain and it's like oh my hand hurt why 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 do so she um, hallucinates herself a replay of a traumatic event from someone else's memory an incident that was told to the police and stored in their computer by a meter maid which is that this like guy who fits the same description of the guy um, uh Steelhawk, um, who had attacked her. And so she's like, oh, maybe this is uh, relevant. So no wonder this file pulled me out of the data stream. And then even more interestingly, she, the, the, um, there's something, you know, scrawled on the bumper of the van when he was taking off. Maybe I can commute computer enhance it electronically. Zoom in, zoom in. It's like this is sure just this... like a text file that like the meter maid had like said, oh, this happened, and this is a vague description of the guy, blah blah blah. So yeah, 
I'm not there, sure there was some light from that. Yeah. If, yeah. if the meter maid didn't remember what was written on the van, then she didn't mention it. Well, it'll, I mean, at first I was pretty like, what? but um, a minute later, she's, she's like, um, she couldn't quite remember what she saw on the bumper sticker, but the think tank made the rest of the necessary correlations. So as you say, the interface is somehow uh, greater than the sum of its parts and putting this raw data into a usable form and but still like i don't know it's a little bit of a stretch but yeah you can't ex the... extract data that's not there you know what i mean yeah even if it was like a photo that was too fuzzy to read you can't just enhance infinitely and be like right. oh now i see it maybe it found all uh records of automobiles that are green vans in the area so Let's see. The um, yeah, they they see Terrytown. That's what the meter maid left out. Terrytown Heights. Um, I looked up. I could not find that there is a actual suburb of Boston named Terrytown Heights. So perhaps Steelhawk blew it all up. It's good an explanation as any. <laughs> So they they go back and are talking in their dorm room to Jenny Swenson again. And um, the news is talking about the prime minister arriving. And Jenny's kind of annoyed. You guys are too much. You mentioned you're headstrong and reckless for your own good. And she's like, you know, everything I do trying to go beyond the law just blew up in my face. Haven't you learned anything from that? It just hurt, ends up hurting me in the end. And... Uh, so the, the troubleshooters are, you know, we, you know, what should we do? And she's like, don't do anything. And okay, I'm not going to tell the police that you had broken into their computer, but uh, stop trying to help me and stop doing this. Yada, yada, yada. The troubleshooters are going to go after Steelhawk, right? <laughs> Long story short. Off we go, yeah. We didn't need to pay attention to what Jenny Swenson's doing in this comic. She's like, thanks. They're like, thanks, Jenny. We'll keep you posted um, about how we're staying out of trouble. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, maybe I've been too concerned with my own needs at the expense of the troubleshooters. And uh, let's see. We, they go downstairs and... Terry and Giotti have taken off quickly in his truck, leaving the other troubleshooters like, hmm, where's our ride? Which is a little funny. I, I would have, anyway. But we cut right to the Steelhawks farm, which the uh, Terry and Eddie have uh, immediately seen the I guess he lives on a Christmas tree farm. Yeah. No, I just like, I told you this tr was the same pickup truck I saw in the meter maids police profile, but that was a green van. Here's this pickup truck also like, yeah, that's, that's a little mix up there. Okay. Slight, uh, no prize there. Um, so they like, so the think tank starts to do an EMS scan to sweep the area for electronic transmissions. But Eddie just goes boldly to the front gate and pulls on the chain, holding the uh, gate. Immediately electrocutes himself. <laughs> ah! 
That's the strong arms we know and love. No thinking. Yeah. Just arms. Strong and hopefully well-grounded arms. Um, we see uh, Ferris and Fastball has just arrived as well, and the other two are in a car nearby. Um, they all pop down and start scouting out the farm, but all this um, uh, shooting range that Steelhawk had been using is now set up to repel invaders or intruders. Um, and so uh, he trips an electronic eye and a machine gun automatically pops out of a well and starts shooting at him. Whoops. Mm. Then um, they hide behind a crate while it's very machine guns and maybe a grenade launcher start um, firing at them. And uh, two or three of the troubleshooters are kind of pinned down and they can see that there's um, they need to do something to hit the, the um, some of these weapons. But uh, suddenly, um, I think the uh, farmhouse blows up the barn. Uh, yeah. Um, thanks to like Think Tank. Thanks to Beam Splitter. Beam Splitter. Where'd he come from? Ooh. Yeah. Did my little Beam Splitter do all that? Yeah. He, uh, he, he hit the um, probably the grenade um, storage uh, in the in the barn with his laser and uh, everything went up. So the guys um, are like, well, let's start moving into the house. Scan for electronics and we'll go carefully. And they, they're a little better this time. Teresa can point out where there's um, some wires that go to an alarm. So strong arm can reach in and uh, disconnect them. So we have full breaking and entering now. I know, I know, we're outside the law again. They get inside, um, but the guys are like, ooh, pay dirt on the wall. That's dried blood. It's got to be Kratzies and a stainless steel bat. Ten to one, that's got to be the murder weapon. Really, Steelhawk just left this stuff like... <laughs> I guess he was pretty confident in his defense systems. Wow. I mean, who wants to live in a house with like a dried yeah. blood and a bloody stainless steel bat? I mean, for like a month or two. Ugh. Yeah. I, I kind of imagine Steelhawk to be kind of like a cross between like a, you know, a highly trained deadly assassin and like kind of a meth head, you know, <laughs> kind of out of it. It's weird. Yeah. Okay. It's uh. It is pretty uh, intense. It could be uh, just the beginning of the horrors to be found in Steelhawk's secret uh, lair. Jars of urine, that's what I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, troubleshooters try calling the detective Sloan, but um, nope, just our luck. Detective Sloan is out. No message. We'll call back. They look around a little bit more and find all the uh, papers about how he's planning to kill the prime minister. So they try calling again. And <laughs> remember, this is 1986, right? No cell phones, no direct calls, you know? Yeah. All they, they're like, we got to call the police. They're now they're calling just the main 
911, but they're like, uh, yeah, I, you know, without any, you know, real details to back it up, they're just like, yeah, whatever. I don't know, guys. I don't think the cops believed me. Now what? Okay. So now what? Says uh, Tim, I guess. Well, they say this. It says in the paper the tree is scheduled to be lit at six o'clock sharp. And that means we've got exactly 29 minutes to get over there before they throw the switch. And they're like, what are we going to do? What choice do we have? A woman's life may be at, at stake. And Terry, she's off sort of thinking to herself, maybe this is how it was for you and Spitfire, Jenny. Maybe now only I'm only beginning to understand you. And maybe there's still time enough to learn. What are we waiting for, group? Let's do it. Let's get that murderer and get him good. <laughs> so they, they think they're a full-on super team now. Yeah. They're like this is so this is the charge from the cover, I guess. They're charging out of the house, like, let's go do it. So, and uh at 9.59 p.m., we have the prime minister just about to push the button while Steelhawk is dressed like Santa Claus. And uh like and now and now you've grabbed that switch. You only have three seconds to live. Ho ho ho. Next. Deadly resolutions. Oof. So leaving you hanging there. Oh. Deadly so, New Year's resolutions? You know, Christmas is next. Well, okay. That doesn't. It's not as popular to have Christmas resolutions, but I guess it would still be possible. So maybe we should, you know, think of that yeah. as perhaps. Well, you, can, you can resolve whenever you want. So we get uh, a nice uh, bonus of letters to Spitfire and the Troubleshooters this month. And I'm afraid I, I did peek ahead at the ends of every other issue this month. And I think this is the only letters page we get. Hmm. This is honestly a little like the new universe editorial team is not uh, it, well, they're missing a chance to kind of get the readership more involved. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I think this is only our third letters page total. I think, yeah, we had a Maybe our Force second. and a Spitfire. Before. Yeah, it was our second one from Spitfire. So Starbrand, BP7, Kickers, Merc, Nightmask. Wait, did we? Maybe I forget now. But yeah, others are just not not giving us anything. Yeah, and I mean, well, and at this point, they're conspicuous by their absence. You know, it's like only Bob <sighs> Harris, who edited this issue, seems to care. I guess Bob is uh, gives us some very interesting um, and rather ominous responses to the letters that Duke make it. Oh yeah, um, the letters come uh, cover issues like one and two, and you know say nice things usually. This is great. Oh, this Max Armor is terrific. You know, like, um, well, let's see. First one gets uh, something about Kratzy, and then don't think the demise of the troubleshooter's first foe means that life will be any easier for the youngsters. Darker days are indeed ahead, as Armor and Bhakti will prove to be a very 
very deadly foe. Keep watching. Uh. <laughs> so then a couple of letters later, they're certainly tr- the troubleshooters are certainly trying to be of help, but they may not uh, realize the situations are involved with now are matters of life and death. death. They are mere amateurs going against increasingly, increasingly dangerous professionals. And the stakes get higher and higher. Their luck is bound to run out. What is he trying to say? <laughs> I'll, I'll also like, say, you know, that we had an interesting, in the second comment, Jenny's life will soon be taking a drastic turn that will take her far from the MIT campus, the city of Boston, and even quite possibly the United States. So we're going to kill off all them troubleshooters and send Jenny to Tokyo? Like, what's going on here? I mean, crazy stuff here. Um, a couple of these are from female names. So um, I can only imagine that part of you know having a team led by a female character was in the hope of having some uh, enhanced female readership for it. Um, I would honestly guess most books would have a couple of names from female fans, though. So... Um, um yeah the the um they also say that sensei the character who was in the first issue and possibly the second will not be coming back yeah i as i'm I'm re-looking through these and the third letter from susan leitner like this has got to be a lie right so she says Believe it or not, I read Spitfire and the Troubleshooters mainly for the troubleshooters. All of them are so well characterized, it's almost hard to notice the mechanical red behemoth. Like my problem in the first couple issues is always that it was really they didn't say anything, right? We didn't learn about their backgrounds. So. We didn't get most of their names for two or three issues. Yeah, um, we had their names. The blonde one. Up. It was hard to keep them straight. The glasses. Yeah, they yeah. didn't have a lot of individuality um i can tell you uh i think uh there's a later letter that's from t baxter in minneapolis minnesota which i assume to be um like a joke name ted baxter was a character in the mary tyler moore show um, that was set in minneapolis so i think at the um back in the day there was a whole group of uh, fandom that was you know writing in letters and always trying to get themselves in the pages and, um, some of them had like used the same fake name and tried to get it into different books and things i don't know um, innocent times so let's yeah. see uh we, we, we in any case the armor is gone badly damaged by arn bhakti finally destroyed by ken connell last issue only Carl Swenson's computerized designs remain. And yeah. <laughs> more foreshadowing. Next issue, the British Prime Minister survived. No real surprise. <laughs> oh, come on. You just spoiled the ending. It's a new universe. You can do anything you want, man. But can but the same be said for the troubleshooters? It's the tale of the hunter and his prey as Bhakti takes his revenge. Plus, Jenny is stalked by a new menace. And here in 30 days for, and then there were four. <laughs> Things will never be the same. They're not being subtle. We, uh, yeah. 
Especially we're getting the take, message strong and clear here. That, we uh, take bets on which troubleshooter's going down? I don't think we can right now. So, yeah, all this uh, ominous uh, details um, do suggest um, at least one troubleshooter. Um, hopefully not more than that, but um, Hopefully not really dead. Maybe just injured or a coma or something a little. But mm, I, my, I'm putting my money on uh, strong arms going down. I think mm. he's got, you know, they got the love interest with Terry, so that would make her upset. And they've really focused hard on her this issue. And uh, he seems to be well positioned to be doing something dumb and heroic, perhaps, or just dumb. So that's my guess. I, it does I, I hope make, I'm wrong, but it does make a certain amount of sense. But um, let me see. I would I have vague memories of what's uh, where this goes. So I I, I will uh, say, based on let's say the cover here, Eric Chin being never having a chance to develop his own Max armor would make him like a good mark. Um, yeah but That's yeah cool. it definitely loses like dramatic potential in the sense like building up Teresa and Eddie as you say that would make a real strong like ouch you know I can't believe you killed them after we've got to know them so well yeah um, yeah Jenny was, was only in about five pages <laughs> of this issue I think we saw more of her when she was in prison. Ugh. This is not her comic for a little while. Yeah, it seems like we're going heavy on the troubleshooters, but in a way that will get them off the stage soon. So, mm. And then we'll head in different directions. Yeah, I, I don't think I really like that, but... Yeah, not very satisfying. I still leaves a lot of the premise underdeveloped and, you know, missing out on some great things they could conceivably have done with these things. Yeah, I mean, I would have certainly imagined more of, you know, them trying to work together and then the kids kind of go off the rails a bunch rather than, than them always being separate, right? So, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jenny Swenson as the female lead of the new universe and uh, <laughs> secondary in her own book is a little weird. But. Teresa is going to take over as her, like, as the commander of the t troubleshooters and their, their weird yeah. thinking backpack. Oh, the, um, I don't know. It kind of leads into a, a, a discussion topic, but um, like another blog I was looking at with uh, some write-ups on the new universe was again complaining about how um, Spitfire had a, like technology that wasn't available at the time, which was very unrealistic. And, you know, I mean, in terms of like what was in movies and TV shows, you would have like movie things about like um, Westworld that sort of, um, you know, robots that could be substituted for people. You had, you know, self uh, programming um, computers gone rogue. So AI, um, 
you had a lot of things that were like, oh, the bionic man, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, those weren't necessarily like confined to like, oh, this is only hardcore sci-fi, you know, way out there stuff, you know, Star Trek episodes. These were like, you know, set in present day, normal dramas with weird sci-fi elements, which is kind of what the new universe was. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like what the new universe did in kind of like a toned down way of not introducing too much crazy. But yeah, I think uh, you know, you'd have to be kind of a real stickler to be like, oh, well, you know, since those fastball legs can't ex- don't exist in real life and they shouldn't be in the new universe. It's like, well, I mean, superpowers don't exist in real life. Like we, we have some new exciting differentiating stuff you know not so much that it goes way out there but you know i think that's why spitfire is kind of this big clunky thing too right it's huge it's not just like form-fitting perfect sleek you know zipping yeah, around it's, it's beyond your skin yeah. yeah it's it's definitely uh kind of it's reaching into like what how can i be a, do a more realistic version of something we've done in comics before at a very like crazy level um i think some of the something i found in like the intro to the new universe was saying like when they said like no crazy technology they were talking like time travel faster than light you know space travel things like that things that would totally change you know the world if you if they were available but um the Marvel Universe itself always kind of underplayed what like Tony Stark and uh, Reed Richards would come up with. I remember there was like at least one miniseries that was like, you know, here's what if New York was actually taking the inventions these guys were um, coming up with and like, you know, building, rebuilding itself. So, it, you know, it's like a much more futuristic city. Um, I don't know. I mean, with, with, even a little advance that you get from the troubleshooters. I think I've said before, you could have, you could imagine um, it sort of spreading into society with like the way our cell phones did, you know, or even Walkmans back then. So yeah. there was that uh, Tom Selleck movie runaway where everyone like had robot servants and they started getting hacked by Gene Simmons. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know that one. Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh yeah directed by michael crichton i may be written by him too mm-hmm. but yeah that's like a case of like it's a just a few years in the future but there's been a advance that makes this you know publicly uh, available now and there's a lot of little robotic things in the houses and stuff um i don't know it's, it's just a just a thought but the um overall tech level of Spitfire and the Troubleshooters wasn't its biggest downfall. I don't, I don't know. No, I, yeah, that doesn't bother me at all. I, in fact, that's some of my favorite stuff is, you know, the strong arms and, you know, the, the weird 1980s mind ha- helmet hacking, which is basically them a- approximating a search engine. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. Like you say, if everything's just a text file, then it's have to use a lot of imagination 
you get these like I'm now a mermaid floating through cyberspace uh, things out of it. But okay. Uh, so let's see. We should probably grade this sucker and wrap it up, right? Yeah, I will give it. Should I wait for you? Um, you go first. The... <laughs> go and B. I want to say minus. I'll give it a straight B. It was okay, and that was a. Um, I had no like problems with it. So... Yeah, I think B is fair. Like, there's like some of it is honestly. I mean, it moves along, but it, some of it's honestly a little boring. But like, there's enough fun there. Like, it, like I don't think it's the most well-crafted comic, but like Steelhawk's still kind of awesome. So he's fun, you know. Giotti and strong arms doing stupid stuff. I've been waiting for that to happen, so I'm excited about that. And uh, yeah, so we got all of their power suits now. So lots of fun wackiness. Yeah. If uh, let's see, and yeah, we'll we'll be back uh, next time and see where they go with it. Oh, I, that is uh, out it for this week's episode. Next time we'll be covering Cyforce number six. The weakest member of Cyforce is the only one strong enough to prevent the group from becoming a bunch of Psy corpses. Ooh. The surprising reason why is found in. Ghost of a chance. <laughs> and Nightmask number six. Why would anyone want to kidnap a crippled teenage girl? Nightmask wants to know too. That girl is his sister. What? <laughs> Teddy. His quest to discover the truth leads him to a nightmare from which he may never escape. No. Well, we know the gnome wanted to kidnap Teddy. So. The, uh, so in the meantime... Come on back to our website, kickersinc.com, and check out the Super Sleuth Summer Sweepstakes and um, your possibility to win. Is it all the first issues still? Yeah. Yeah. And as of, as of the recording of this episode, you know, your odds of winning could be very good. Right. We don't have a lot of entries. So a year from now, maybe we will, but. It'll be over by then. <laughs> so until next time, uh, this is Steven. And Andy signing off. And we'll see you next time back at the spinner rack. Do, 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 do.